You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. As we're going through the book of Galatians, we're going to kind of focus specifically on this passage in Galatians chapter 2, primarily verse 4. But this is kind of the greater context of it. So if you have your Bibles, read with me or just follow along in the screen here. And uh, we'll kind of catch everybody up to speed. So Paul's writing and he says this. Then after 14 years, he's talking about his conversion experience. After being converted to Christ, there was a 14-year gap. He went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus. Okay, these are two missionaries that are on Paul's journeys with him. He says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So Paul is saying he received this revelation from God, this understanding of what Jesus Christ did, and he comes and begins to run it by other people saying, listen, is, is what I'm doing right? And their response is, of course, yes. And then it goes on to, he says this. Now, verse 3, this is really odd, especially, uh, I'm not a real big fan of talking about circumcision. It's kind of uncomfortable, just, just saying that. Um, there's no pictures today on that either, don't worry. So, but Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised Though he was Greek. Now, I'm just going to say the word one. Circumcision. There we go. Now, there's nothing spiritual about what that is saying other than what it's saying. It's the same thing that happens today. Baby comes out of the womb. Same type of action back then. Now, it's interesting when we don't see Jesus at the center of the Bible. A verse like that we want to run from as fast as humanly possible. I mean, that looks like absolutely jumbled mess here. We got Paul talking about a missionary journey. Next thing, he's like, Titus, who's a grown man. We're forcing him to get circumcised, all right? So I'm not sure about anybody that that's not, I'm not really a big fan of that if I was a grown man, which I don't really have to worry about that. But if I was a grown man, that just sounds painful in that process, forcing someone to get circumcised. Now, I know this sounds odd, and I'm going to pull it together. See, what happens often is that we don't see Jesus at the center of the Bible, so we take scriptures and for convenience sake, throw them out, and we begin to find things, watch this, that just simply we can look at the surface level and go, oh, oh, oh yeah, I understand that, I don't understand that. Well, what do you mean we're not forcing Titus to get circumcised? I'm not trying to force anybody to get circumcised. That's, that's your deal, all right? Like, if you're, I'm not really going to try to force anybody to do that. No, what is he talking about here? Look at verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Now, let me give you the kind of redemptive arc of what God's doing here. The Bible isn't written as a thousand little stories compiled together in 66 books. The Bible's about one story. God loving man. Period. It's about a king and his kingdom. It's displayed through 66 books, through thousands of people's lives, thousands of characters. That's why really the genealogies are so important. When you read, for instance, like the book of Leviticus or Numbers. There's an entire book called Numbers. Uh, has anyone ever tried to do like read the Bible through in a year? You, you get through the book of Numbers, you're like, how does this apply to me? These, I just read four chapters of names I can't, I can't even make out. Right? It's just, it, well, because what it's showing is that the Old Testament is building towards something. It's not just simply saying, 
now uh, apply this to your life and, oh, this makes me feel good, but it's showing us that there's a redemptive arc. There's something that's building over time and through the genealogies, God is showing that there's a promise that was being birthed. So circumcision here in this text is not just talking about a grown man's decision. What it's talking about is that God came to Abram in the book of Genesis and said this, Abram, real real quick, I'm going to bless you and through you I'm going to bless all of this world. I'm going to bless this world through you. Now, Abram goes, all right, I'm the son of an idol maker, and uh, I'm running far from you, and uh, God says, I'm going to bless you, not according to what you do, but because I'm making a covenant with mankind because I love them. Because I love them. And he says this, I'm going to give you the sign of circumcision, so that anytime God makes a covenant, he gives a person a sign. So you'll remember With Adam and Eve in the garden, God makes a covenant with them. And right there they slay an animal and the blood is a covenant to them. Then you go into Noah and he says, I won't flood the earth. And what does he give as a sign? A rainbow. So then we see some people in in Old Testament and Israel's time that they do a salt covenant. That they would make a covenant with each other. I'm not going to harm you. So they exchange salt. All right. Now in weddings today, we what? We exchange rings. So the sign itself is assigned to something greater than itself. It's not, uh, it's, it's not the covenant itself. So, for instance, I can take this ring off this morning and I'm still married regardless of the ring. Now, if Aaron catches me not wearing the ring all the time, she's going to start asking why. Because this is the sign to something that already took place. I'm in covenant with my wife regardless of this ring. This is a sign, though, to other people. Now, I don't understand about circumcision, how they knew Titus wasn't circumcised. I'm not going to ask that question, all right? I'm just going to trust that the guy was honest. Hey, you circumcised? No, I'm not. I don't think, I'm not really quite sure how they checked for the sign there, just to figure that out on your own, all right? But the sign was something greater. But what religion always does is religion lifts up or exalts exterior facade over an internal reality. So what happens is Paul begins to say, Titus is with him, who's Greek. See, circumcision was the sign to Abram and then the children of Israel who were initially the covenant people of God. Catch this, the covenant people of God. So then through Jesus Christ, God grafts in Gentiles, which is everybody who wasn't born Jewish and eaten kosher, okay? So all of us bacon-eaten frenzied maniacs. You love your, you love your fried food. All right. All of us get covenant into the people of God, not by our efforts, but by the work of Jesus Christ. So this is crazy though, because in the first century time, you've got all of these Jewish believers, right? That are believing in the one true God. And next thing you know, the guy who is absolutely the farthest thing from a Jew is going, yo, I'm a Christian. Yo, I'm saved. I'm in. God saved me. I'm, I'm in the covenant community of God. Now try that with our, with our Jewish section in Scranton. They look at you like you've got three heads, like you're crazy. Like, you're, you're not in the covenant people of God. They're like, dude, you're not even, you're not even circumcised. If you're going to be in the covenant people of God, okay, believe in Jesus, but you still got to follow ABC and XYZ and, and all, all that. And Paul says this is really interesting because this is an absolutely integral part of the really redemptive story of what God's doing. Is Paul goes, we didn't force him to be circumcised. What is he saying by that? That through Christ, the gospel redeems us and brings freedom from, from the law. 
Now, it's not that the law is bad here. It's not that the law that God gave the children of Israel is bad. It's just simply that we can't, we can't do it on our own. Now, it was interesting. I had a conversation with somebody recently, and uh, it, it absolutely amazes me um, when you ask somebody, what's their view of Christianity? Uh, recently I had a, a meeting with a guy and he was trying to sell us some stuff as a church. And I said, uh, and you know, so he's kind of doing a sales pitch. He's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I kind of just talked and I said, okay. So I was like, oh, great. That's awesome. So what does being a Christian mean to you? And then instantly the sweat beads start coming out of his forehead and he's, well, basically, you know, just following the golden rule, being a, being a good person, um, you know, loving my wife, raising my kids, you know, just really following you know, the Bible's commands, the Ten Commandments. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. And uh, I just said real politely, I said, sir, I'm not trying to be offensive, but I said, you just described to me um, what a dedicated Muslim looks like. I said, other than a few extreme examples, uh, you just described to me what the uh, mu- Muslim faith looks like. And, he, and, of course, that went over pretty good. And he said, what do you mean? And I got to share, see, the gospel, look at this. Almost every religion has something equatable to the golden rule. See, Christianity is not about a set of morals or ethics. You look at Confucius, and he gives us this wonderful line, which crack open the fortune cookie, what you do not wish for yourself, don't wish on others. Simply love your neighbor as yourself. You go on to the different types of faith into, which I'm going to guess how to say that. I'm just going to say the second one. Blessed is he who prefers his brother before himself. And if you go over to the Buddhism, hurt not others in the way that you hurt yourself would find hurtful. See, most of us have this uh, really narrow view of Christianity where it's like Christianity has everything right and all religions aren't morally right. But the truth is if you crack open the Quran, you're going to find some really good moral instruction. Now, yeah, there's some extreme examples in there, but listen, Christianity is not about the golden rule. It's not. See, you go on to see, even into the Quran, where he talks about caring for the orphans and the needy and doing justice and mercy, and frankly, I can read that and say, that is good. That's good. Oh, that's in the Quran? No, 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 that's good. Now listen, that's not authoritative, that's not God's word, but that does not mean that that's not morally right. But Christianity is not just about another layer of moral ethics for us to ascribe to and then get from our adherents God's approval. Rather, Jesus takes something so dramatic, something that where religion wants to focus on an exterior facade and goes like this. He goes, Pharisees, Sadducees, I didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. And then he says this, look at verse 20 at the bottom. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me give you a context for what I'm, what I'm working through here. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes this statement. And in your Bibles, you can begin to look down on what he begins to take the Old Testament law, right? And begins to expound on it. So he, first he starts off and says, you've heard it said, um, don't kill your brother. And Jesus says, well, I tell you, don't even be angry. Then he goes on and says, you've heard it said, don't, uh, don't commit adultery with a woman. I say, don't even look at her with lust in your heart you already have. He goes on to say, talking about oaths. You said, God's, you know, you're supposed to follow through with your word, but I say that even if you let your yes be yes and your no be no, he begins to take this moral ceiling that we all have. So, no, it's, it's flexible, but it's all here. And I got to be able to describe this with this guy and say, listen, what you described to me is 
is there's really no difference between your Christianity. I wasn't being offensive by any means, but I want you to see this. There's really no difference between what you just described Christianity as Buddhism or being a Muslim or anything. There's really no difference. You simply said, try to be a good person. You have a moral code that I adhere to. And if I adhere to it one day, I'm doing well. And if I'm not, I'm not doing right. But Jesus takes something that's a moral code that we see a ceiling and he squashes it on us to the point, listen, where Jesus goes on to say, don't simply don't be angry, but he says, love your neighbors. And then he goes, okay, that's not too hard. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, anybody in there, anybody that's honest, can, who can say this morning, you don't love your enemies? <laughs> Brendan, that was good. <laughs> good idea. Yeah, we're playing softball a few weeks ago, and a guy takes out my wife sliding to second base. This dude's not even my enemy, and I was ready to throw down. Like, he he slides into second base, takes out Aaron, and I'm like, dude, what? I I don't even I've never even met this guy, and I'm ready to, like, go for it. Come on. This isn't an enemy. This is just somebody that happened to hit my wife in a softball game. So I I want you to to recognize this because this is what Jesus does. Jesus shows us, listen, that all other religions lead us to the diving board through us through commands and anchor our feet, showing us that we can't truly do it. Because in our own effort, the truth is you can, yes, you cannot cheat on your wife. You cannot kill a neighbor. Most of us don't struggle with that. Most of us here haven't like killed a ton of people and be like, yeah, I'm really struggling. Can you pray for me? What's happening? I just killed my neighbor. Uh, about that. Yeah, it's been a rough week. What's going on? Well, you know, I'm trying to keep this on the down low between you and I. So there's this guy. <laughs> we used to be friends, and, you know, I kind of dealt with him. Well, what do you mean you dealt with him? Like, you spoke hard. No, I killed him. See, most of us have a moral ceiling, listen, that we'll live under and never get close to touching. Most of us here um, intentionally will never kill anyone. Intentionally. Uh, I pray unintentionally we don't either, but intentionally the moral ceiling that most of us here, hopefully I can say most of us here, will never cheat on your spouse. Because most of us that have a, a grounded ethics can navigate life without doing that. But yet, I think we can all agree there are thousands of people in this country who may or may not cheat on their spouse, but they are far from in covenant with her. Correct? Just just because you don't cheat doesn't mean you're faithful. See, Jesus takes this moral ceiling that we've got a lot of leeway, and he goes like this. "Let Let me shrink that down and show you that in your own effort, you will never be able to do this. You'll never be able to do it, even to the point where he says, you have to love your enemies. See, the gospel is supposed to bring us to a place. And I told this man, I said, listen, sir. I said, said, let me just offer this. I said, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is you will never be able to to do the golden rule. The the, the gospel is you, you can never love your neighbor as yourself because you're selfish and I'm selfish. The gospel is your best effort on your best day leaves you miserably short because even on your best day of loving your neighbor, there's something internally that you gain from it. Either his approval. I'm constantly challenged by this when I'm helping, when I'm doing different things, and I think, man, I really wish, and I, wait, wait, you gotta check my heart. What's going on here? 
Jesus takes this moral ceiling and, and squashes it down because this is, the, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion will give you a moral code, ethics, and it will give you a command, but it will anchor your feet at the diving board and never let you actually see it fulfilled. Because the truth is, none of this can be sustained long-term. It's something that I can adhere to or say that it's idealistic, but nothing long-term will let me love my enemies because I can't. They're my enemies. Jesus sets up, listen, he sets up a high jump. So high that we're not supposed to think that we can jump it. He sets something up so high for us that we're supposed to recognize, I can't clear this. I can't do it. I have no shot at loving my enemies. Now, I know everyone says, I don't have any enemy, enemies here. I feel pretty good. No, you have somebody that, listen, if you've lived long enough, or maybe if you live in a bubble, sooner or later, you will have somebody that hurts you. Hurts you. They do you wrong. Or you will do them wrong. It, 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 this is life. This, this is it. And only the gospel has the power to uproot from there and do something other than simply behavioral modification. See, Jesus takes something beyond an exterior facade and where Paul, we started off in our text, and he says this, I won't force him to be circumcised. Why? Because he says, I want to preserve the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is that you are rooted and saved and sustained in Christ apart from an exterior facade that brings you approval. You are justified by Christ and adding nothing to it. See, when we begin to get this posture, you know, being a Christian, an, an arrogant Christian is an absolute oxymoron. I was listening to a speaker this past week, and he was talking about, um, you know, listening and, to people, and he would ask them, you know, are you a Christian? And the first thing they'd say to a person, well, of course I'm a Christian. And he said, by asking the simple question, are you a Christian, I would know if they really knew Christ or not. Because no person would you ask and say, are you a Christian? Their first response would be, well, of course I am. And the first response would be, yeah, I am. How? Why me? Why did God save me, choose me? See, the moment that we feel that we've grasped this thing shows us that we're far, 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 far from it. Now, let me, let me continue here because I, I don't want to, I don't want to bore you. Christianity is the only religion that provides commandments, provides forgiveness when we fall, but, but different than that. See, there's other religion that gives commandments and even penance or different ways to redeem yourself, but Christianity is the only religion that brings us a heart change and gives us a new heart and a new spirit. See, Christianity is not simply, I stop this behavior and I start this behavior. Christianity is a recognition that in and of myself, there is no good thing. I can't stop these things. I can only control it or put it in a box to the corner or begin to replace it with something a little bit bigger. A little bit better, a little bit sharper, faster, but it's a constant game. But what Christianity is, is replacement, not only of behaviors, but of values. Where in Ezekiel 36, verse 37, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit to follow my commandments. In a heart. That God exchanges our hearts so it's no longer I have to take a commandment and go, please stop, i got to do this. But he simply says this, that as I can 
have a new heart that moves me to love him. See, I I, want to just show you that this is absolute. I don't think you recognize how much of a miracle you already are in Christ. As if somehow, like, oh, I'm a Christian, everybody could do this if they want. No, they can't. You're a miracle this morning. The fact that you love Jesus Christ shows that he did something in your heart because you couldn't love him without him. It's, salvation is not a conscious choice that you just make one day, you wake up and you go, no, I think I'm going to be a Christian today. If that's where, if that's where you, you're at, go ahead and try to talk to somebody that's not a Christian and go, hey, let me reason with you. I think you being a Christian would make life about a lot, a lot better. Be a lot, you know, just make sense and things like that. See, no, you see, you can't reason with unbelief because the gospel is something that awakens human hearts. When we have this understanding of the gospel, then we don't come across as knowing everything or having this, listen, I'm a Christian, this is the gospel, you need to repent and do this. No, simply we offer the gospel to people and then they respond. See, the chart or track of this is God's approval comes before our obedience. God's approval comes before our obedience. Religion says, my obedience, my adherence, rots God's approval. Christianity says, God's approval was given to me through Christ, therefore I obey. When we reverse these two, it becomes totally wacky. I'll give you an example of this. You see in the book of Exodus, God delivers the children of Israel and then gives them the Ten Commandments. There was nothing magical about the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt saying, Lord, forgive us. God, redeem us. God, do this. And God's like, you know what? I, I think uh, if you follow these Ten Commandments and you know, get, get your act together, I think, I'll, uh, I think I'll deliver you from sin and sickness and Egypt, slavery. No, God says, listen, I redeem you. I deliver you. And now because I've redeemed you and deliver you, this is what I want you to This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to live. But yet, religion has absolutely hijacked this and swapped the two of them where Christianity has become about, if I can exteriorly adhere to this, therefore I'm a Christian. Listen, the gospel simply says you are justified in Christ before you have the ability to do anything. I'll reason with you again. Jesus on the cross turns to the thief beside him. And Jesus simply says like that. He goes, I believe you're the son of God. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He was right there, saved, justified. There was nothing about him that goes, uh, Jesus, I really didn't have a lot of time to pray today. I, I didn't do anything. No, what did he do? His best life up until that point got him being crucified. And in a moment, he turns and is justified there instantaneously. See, the gospel is not something that we jump through a bunch of loops or hoops and, oh, here I am redeemed. Deuteronomy chapter 7. When we talk about the love of God, the gospel, Paul says that I didn't want Titus to be circumcised because I wanted to keep the truth of the gospel pure. Pure. This is interesting. If I'm with Aaron, and uh, everybody here has probably experienced this in, in some level or another, be it 
relationship or children or vice versa. You look at your spouse, your child or whatever, and you say, you know, I love you. And you got to love when they respond back with what? Why? Isn't that an awkward question? I love you. Why? Uh, I, I, I love you. Why? Because I do. No, why do you love me? Because I love you. This is interesting. The moment that our love receiving from God, listen to this. Why does God love us? He says to Deuteronomy chapter 7, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people from his, for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Watch this. He goes, listen, I love you. I, I choose you. Verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other of the people. The Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. Watch this. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. When love has a why, there's no love. It's not love if there's a why. If Aaron, if I say to Aaron, I love you, and she says, well, why? Well, I love you because you do this. Well, no longer it's that I love you. It's that I love what you do. And the truth is, it's no longer love. It's shifted simply to her actions. And if those actions changes or if her beauty fades or if she's in an accident or scarred, then do I love her anymore or did I love the facade or the exterior of which I place my love upon? I love you, why? Because uh, you're a great cook. What if she forgets how to cook? Oh, God. Can we all pray for a minute? No, I'm kidding. She, what, what, if she, what if she, I love you because you, you're a great housekeeper and you keep the house, just, just, you're an incredible host. What if she comes down with a sickness of some sort where she can no longer do that? See, it's not love if I place it in a response to the way she acts. See, the love of God is given to us not on how we obey or adhere, but simply says this, why I love you and I choose you because of a covenant I made that's beyond you and above you and bigger than you. And the covenant that we know is what was called the covenant of Jesus Christ, the new covenant in his body, in his blood, that he loves us not apart in what we do, but apart from what we do. Apart. Thank you, Tim. Somebody else. Okay, listen, he, the gospel, he loves us apart from, listen to this text in the book of Titus. He says this to us, for we were once foolish and disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I, I love, the, I love the, just the reality of what the Bible says. Because the Bible, you know what it does? Is it peels off the layer of self-beautification. Listen, you will go to funerals and viewings and they doll the people up. We, we live in a society that you start off, you come out of the womb biting and crying. Right? Then you, then you hit school and you start biting, kicking and screaming and then they go, yeah, that doesn't work here. And what do you mean? I want... Well, it works in you know, kindergarten, first grade. You're going to have to stop now. You're in eighth grade. You can't bite, kick, and scream. You just bit a kid. Right? 
And the older you get, what was once this envy, kicking, and screaming, the older we get, we learn to suppress and be able to modify our behavior so we understand what's decently and acceptable in society. So the only really time that it comes out is when you're driving and somebody cuts you off. Right? The truth is, though, in, in everyday life, we basically know how to interact with people even if you don't like them. We're not going to walk up and say, hey, just want to let you know I really don't like you. And uh, actually, I'm about to bite you. What do you mean you're about? Oh, my Lord, what are you doing? You're bitten. Like, most of us aren't going to like, hey, I don't like you. I'm going to kick. I'm gonna, first, I'm going to scream. Just let everybody else in here know that I don't like you. I'm going to kick on the ground and I'm going to bite you. No, because why? We, we recognize pretty quick that that doesn't work and doesn't really get job promotion. So we go, oh, I'm going to keep that on the down low. See, th- see that's not, there's, listen, there's, that was not a learned behavior. You didn't learn how to bite, kick, and scream. You understand what I'm saying? You learned how to not bite, kick, and scream. See, the Bible peels off this layer about human, the human heart and goes, listen, at the inside of the human heart is that we are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Let me, let me hit this. Slavery, we have this image of slavery that's all... Um, all necessarily like being abused and beaten down all the time. But not all slavery is like that. Slavery is not about the abuse of a person. Slavery is about the person working to gain pleasure from their master. It's, it's the, the idea of slavery here is that they're working to gain approval from the master because if I'm not in approval, then I'm punished. If I'm not in approval, then I'm punished. But Listen, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. See, all of us have become slaves to something outside of Christ, whether it be something that is horrendous, that we could look at something like, again, the moral ceiling. We all know people that are just doing heavy doses of cocaine are not doing the right thing. I mean, that's just simple. We can look at it and go, that's not going to work out, dude. You know, my friend... uh, it's going to be on iTunes. One of my friends is a firefighter. He was a firefighter, and he came around the corner, and there was like a 300-pound man, totally butt naked, swinging a two-by-four. And uh, it was because he was on PCP and another type of drug. I think we can all agree that's probably not what we want to grow up to be, right? He got a call on his thing, and he's like, oh, I'm at that, at that place. So he turns around the corner, and there's a man swinging a two-by-four, and the police had to come and tase him and stuff like that. Now, we can all agree on an extreme example that drugs and certain things are wrong, and that's not it. But listen, slavery doesn't have to do with the abuse or the harm that takes place here, but our effort to work to gain justification from our master. And all of us have been led astray by and become slaves to something outside of Christ. And still in Christ, if we're not careful, we can still find our justification from a master other than Jesus. Be it fashion, clothing, relationships, money, sex, power, people, family, kids, food, uh, bikes, outdoors, cigarettes, alcohol, work. I'm running out of stuff here. You understand what I'm saying? See, slavery, we can be a slave to something and absolutely enjoy our slavery. Absolutely enjoy it. Why? Because we find our justification in it. We find our security in it. It feels good because when I have money, I'm secure. And when I don't have money, I'm insecure. And if I am fashionable and people approve of me, then I'm feeling good. And what if I have a bad hair day? My 
life goes into a wreck or whatever. If, what if I, listen, I'm just being real here. We grow up and I have to have kids and I have to have kids, I have to have kids. Well, then the reality comes where we don't have kids or something. Where we begin to find, I know this is hard, but we begin to find our justification in something other than Christ. And we become a slave to something where we're begging for approval beyond us. Or if I could just have a relationship, if I could just be married or dating or married to multiple women at the same time. All right, There's some people that do that. If I could just have that, then I'll be approved. But the scripture goes on to say this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... Jesus saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. The love of God is that God looks at people that in our in the heart of hearts, in our very actions, we're completely rebellious. Again, I know when we hear this, we go, I'm not that guy. I'm not that hard. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. On the surface level, we're like, no, that's, that's not my issue. I'm never going to kill anybody. I'm never going to cheat on my wife. Remember though, Jesus, the rich young ruler comes up to him and goes, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes, hey, okay, obey the commands. He goes, I've done all these. He goes, now sell your money. Go, go sell everything and give it to the poor. And it says this, that the man walked away saddened because he was of great wealth. Listen, it wasn't because he had a lot of money. It was because money had him. Jesus looked at the Ten Commandments and goes, okay, so you're doing pretty good on the moral ceiling. You're not killing, stealing, cheating. Hey, you know what your idol is? It's money. I'll get rid of it. But uh, I like money. See, he was a slave to something he enjoyed. It's not that temporal things or material things are bad. Some are, but it is when we find our identity in something other than Christ, whether it be playing an instrument, whether it be my successful career, what people think of me, my family approves of me. All of us have these things, and until you know your idol, you won't know your Savior. Until you can look at it and say, that, that's my problem. See, Judas, his price was 30 pieces of silver. What, what's your price? What, what's your price where you look at it and go, that's, that could be my master if I just had that? Would it be a professional sports career? Would it be being on the front of a magazine? Would it be being the greatest musician or artist or the, the best mom? Or you would be your online blog has thousands of people reading every day. And, or you're the best doctor in the world or the best carpenter in the world, whatever, where people look and go, we've, we've got to know how do you do this? See, until we know our price, we can't know our Savior because until we know that, we're still, the truth, internally bound to it. I just want to go back for one second. Whoops. To the galaxy. Actually, bring me back to the first slide. I'm not going to close with that thing. I want you to see this. The, what, the, what the truth of the gospel is. Verse 3. Even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised though he was Greek. Yet because of false, false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. It's amazing. Paul says, I, will, I won't let him do, I won't let him do this. I don't, want, I don't want the truth of the gospel to be polluted, not just for Titus, but for everybody else around I don't want the truth of the gospel to be meshy and people go, well, it's kind of this. See, 
The gospel is not love your neighbor as yourself. The gospel is you will never be able to love your neighbor as yourself until Christ loves through you. We've been handing the Christian world and handing uh, the community just basically just garbage when it comes to what the gospel is. The health, wealth, and prosperity message that's preached today and uh, positioned in conferences. I really have a hard time believing that if you show up in the first century in the catacombs, which were underground you know, tunnels full of dead Christians that were buried there. I have a hard time saying like, hey, would you sign my book? Would you, would you endorse this? Just put your name on this thing? Because we've gotten so far away from it where Christianity has essentially become, and you can dice it whatever way you want. If I do this, then God owes me this. It becomes negotiable. It becomes a negotiating contract so that we see tons of people that grow up in church are handed to this moralistic garbage and then they get a little bit older and they say, Jesus, you're my dream giver and my dream fulfiller. I've been obedient to you. Everything that I've done, look at what I've done. And now we know no one says that. Nobody says, Jesus, look what I've done for you. But the moment something goes wrong, then it goes, what up? God, I thought we had a deal. I've been, I've been reading my Bible. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And Jesus, yeah, you have been. You've been your own savior. See, the moment that the underbelly of that thing just is shown and it's just exposed, then we recognize, wait, the gospel that I've been believing has been simply that if I be a nice suburban Christian, if I adhere to this and if I stay away from that, well, God, I haven't been partying lately. I haven't been doing what I used to do. Or, God, look what I started. Now I'm doing this. You're going to bless me, love me. No, the truth is this. Christ loves you and blesses you regardless of that. Your stupidity has consequences. Sorry, okay. Did I, I didn't, didn't mean to apologize there. I meant that, sorry, okay. It's true. Christianity has become something that if I do this and stop doing that, the gospel is that he loves us because the truth is we cannot stop anything without him. Christianity exposes the hardness of the human heart, lays it bare for us to look at it, and just goes, Wow. Jesus, without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I'm nothing. One of my favorite hymns, it says this, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take it, seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. John Calvin says that our hearts are idol-making factories. It's amazing. Every other day we got a new idea, new invention, new this, new that. Something that we just crave a little bit beyond like the horse that will never get the carrot. When, when the, the water that satisfies us is right before us, the God of all eternity right before us says, listen, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, and I'll give you water, and you'll never thirst again. So that, listen, this gospel can't just be preached to rich people that have money. This gospel can be preached to poor, broken, desolate people because you can say, listen, this world, Jesus says, has many troubles, but you get Jesus. You get him. That's the gospel. The gospel is not, if I do this, then I'll get a bigger house, a bigger this, a bigger that. Well, what if, no, because I actually, in my brokenness, I can identify with Christ and his sufferings and that there is, and listen, let me just say this as a testimony. Some of you are walking through incredibly difficult situations right now 
And I pray that God intervenes and delivers. I pray that he does. I pray that he absolutely does. But like an Old Testament story with the book of Daniel, they're about to be thrown. These three men are being thrown into a furnace of fire. And they said, we're confident that our God can, our God will deliver, but even if he doesn't, most of us have a God that can, we hope he will, but what, what if he doesn't? See, some of the suffering that you're walking through, I'm not talking about sickness, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think sickness is, uh, is suffering, biblical suffering, but some of the suffering of life is actually a prophetic declaration to the world around us that we first need a Savior and that I can identify with the Savior. Christianity is not an escape of. It's not an escape of. Jesus says, in this world you will have many troubles. Many troubles. That'd be a great altar call. In this world you'll have many troubles. Who wants to accept Jesus? No, that's not the Jesus we preach, though. We preach Jesus in this world, you'll have no longer have troubles. But the truth is, some of us have suffering, things that we're working through, and we have to work through them possibly for years. If you've got a four or five or six-year-old son, you know, from a previous marriage, you can't just, you know, get oil slapped on your head and pray that everything's better if the other spouse is crazy. I'm just being honest. You've got, you've got to work through it, regardless of if you get slapped and you speak in tongues and roll on the ground eating applesauce. It doesn't matter. You can do that until you're blue in the face. You might knock yourself out and, you know, put you on medication. I don't know, but that's not going to change anything. See, some of these situations, we live in a broken world and we need a savior and we have one. You're, this morning, I want to take a few minutes to identify in our hearts Maybe, and I pray that you can look back and say, because I'm not saying that you have to live a slave to one thing and a slave to Jesus. No, Jesus says very clearly, you can't, have, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in, in, in fashion or God in music or God in art or God in work or God in whatever. He, he makes it real clear. It's, it's this or that. There's, there's no two things. And I hope this challenges you this morning to be able to recognize what am I seeking my justification in? Who, what master am I turning to for them to approve of Jared Ruddy? What, am, what master is approving of me where I can go, oh, if I would just have this, I'd feel better? Or can I simply say, I no longer am tied to that, and all I need is Christ to say, you're redeemed. You're justified. And whether I ever get a better job or more money, or if I lose my job and lose money, or if I... I don't want to get a better spouse. I already have one. <laughs> that would be bad. If I, not myself personally, if I had a different relationship or a different that, no. This morning, let's take a few minutes and let the Holy Spirit convict our hearts of what we are seeking justification from and be able to put that at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, you are more beautiful. Let's stand together. Mark, if you could come forward and play just for a few minutes. Next few weeks, we're going to talk, it's actually probably going to be about three weeks until we get really into it. But the freedom that we have in Christ, when you're free in Christ, listen, you can be the richest man in the world and not be owned by money. That's amazing. 
But yet you see people that barely have any money. They've got to have it. It's like, dude, you know, there's kids that are like 13 that have more money than you, and it's scary. But yet we have, our identity's found in it. This morning, let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to do something that we can't do. Let's pray. Spirit of God, Spirit of truth, we ask that you search our hearts and convict us according to righteousness. Lord, we've turned you into a stepping stone that if I am a better Christian or if I just keep doing what I'm going to do, everything's going to work out. But Lord, you don't promise everything's going to work out. You promise you're never going to leave. You don't promise that it's going to work out exactly how we want it. And I think all of us here, we can all just agree this morning that life doesn't play out perfectly. We all all know that, but yet we're striving for something perfect. And I just want to declare to you this morning that you're striving for a Savior who's come and died in your place. Lord, this morning, thank you that we were all once slaves led astray by all types of passions. But this morning, we lay them at your feet. Just begin to ask the Lord. Maybe, maybe this comes very easy to you, or maybe you're like, oh, I don't, I don't have any idols in my heart. Begin to pray and ask the Lord to reveal. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Often we're not even aware of what things are until they begin to shake. Some of us in this room may be experiencing extreme shaking in our lives this morning. And that, though it appears could be cruel, I want to just offer this as an insight. This, this actually could be God's absolute mercy revealing. And I, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that he doesn't sympathize and feel our pain. He does. But some of us, maybe we're, we've moved to a new location or a new job or something's changed in our lives and it, and it hurts. This morning, bring, bring your hurt to the Lord and just to the high priest that says in Hebrews, who sympathizes and feels our pain. He feels it. Just bring it to him and say, Lord, this hurts this morning. I need you. Lord, this, this, doesn't, feel, this doesn't feel right. It's not working. I wanted my life to go this way and now it's going this way. Or I planned that. And just begin to lay that down to the Lord. And watch him hold those things in his hand and begin to beautify it. And the greatest tragedy actually could bring us closer. Thank you, Lord. We invite you into this place this morning, Lord, into our hearts. Into the, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I decree over this church this morning that you are justified 
not according to your righteousness, but by the gift of righteousness, Jesus Christ. I declare that you are righteous and holy, not according to your works, but Christ's work on your behalf. We'll just take a few minutes before we dismiss. If you need prayer for anything specific, we're going to open up this space in the front just to lay things before God's heart. And we have people here that would be willing to pray. If anyone needs prayer, you can step forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me, uh, let me just encourage you with this as we go this week. You are righteous in this, and so many of us have been handed things. And I feel like what God's calling us to in this area, listen, is to not be, become overly familiar with the gospel.